Welcome back to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, all my pubsters. I know it's coming to the end of summer, but we have an episode to help alleviate the summertime blues. I sit down with the infamous Martha Earls, manager at her own company, Neon Coast. And I tell you, we cover everything from her transition from publishing to manager to her and her team's success with Kane Brown. Hey, 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 welcome back, AIMP Pubcast listeners. I am super pumped today to be having my guest, Martha Earls, the founder, the owner of her own management company, Neon Coast. I just want to say thanks for your time and thanks for joining us today, Martha. So welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's just jump in here. I would love, of course, I know your background a little bit, but can you give us a little background for our listeners on about your journey in the artist management and how you came to discover your passion for this role? Because I know you started else off somewhere else because all great everybody comes from publishing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I might be true. I am from central Pennsylvania originally. I moved to Nashville to go to college at MTSU. I uh, started my career as an intern at Warner Chapel Music Publishing and didn't didn't really know about publishing until I actually got in there and started working on it. And I really enjoyed the interaction with the songwriters and specifically the songwriter artists. And I loved that part of the music industry and people coming in and writing songs and showing them. And it was a lot of fun. And that was a really wonderful place to start working. I ultimately got hired at Warner Chapel and kind of worked my way up the publishing ranks, you know, from the receptionist to the tape room, you know, pitching songs, the song plugger, and then being able to sign talent. I really enjoyed it. During that time, I just felt a deep pull to start my own company. And so a colleague of mine, Mike Molinar, who you know very well, obviously, we decided to start our own company. That was when I first dipped my toe in artist management. And one of our songwriters' clients got a record deal on Big Machine. Then Mike and I, um, our company became what is now Big Machine Music Publishing. That provided me the opportunity to go into management full-time. And then I went out on my own. And in 2016, started officially started working with Kane Brown as his manager and built his career. And then in 2019, I guess, started expanding my company a bit, hiring a few more people and adding... Uh, a couple other artists to the roster. We actually named our company Neon Coast recently. People always ask me why, and it's because I frequently get asked, oh, are you on the West Coast or the East Coast? And I'm like, no, I'm in Nashville. I'm on the Neon Coast. And that's where the name came from. So um, so we have that company, and we have Kane, obviously, and Restless Road, and Dylan Schneider, and a band called Nightly. We have a production company where we produce, you know, videos and TV appearances and content of that nature. You know, we're just building and growing things over here. So that's where I am. That's a great segue to my my next question. If you could describe some, because I know your days are never the same. What are some of the primary responsibilities or duties that you have in regard to supporting your artist career? Like what goes into your daily routine as a manager? That's a great question. You know, early on, it was it was about just lo- tactical logistics, you know, getting somebody from point A to point B, going to the show, talking to the booking agency, figuring out that kind of stuff. Now, though, 
I've realized the role is so much more and it's really about strategy and planning, helping the artists plan their career and the moves that have to be made for them to accomplish those goals in their career. So a typical day for me, a typical day for me could be my artist is going into the studio. You know, I, I'll go over to the studio for a little bit. We'll sit, we'll talk about what he's going to record. I'll talk to the producer and then I'll, and I'll hang out for an hour, but then I'll dip and go back to the office and I'll do, I'll talk to the booking agent and our promoter about our next tour. And when are we going to announce our next tour? I'll talk to the label about new music and how that coincides with the tour. It's a lot of talking to all the different departments, I guess you'd call them, that are involved in an artist's career. And then sometimes it's going out on the road. I do a lot of that. I actually go to quite a few shows, more than I did for Kane specifically, more than I did earlier in his career. Um, I think after COVID, I think it's two things. I think after COVID, uh, I found it was more important to have have somebody from the team out on the road. And I also think that, um, you know, as an artist grows, you got to be there, you know, that when artists are playing stadiums, you're there for every show. That's just the way that it goes. And, and I love it. And going to those shows is such a great payoff for all the hard work and planning that goes into it as well. But I think, uh, yeah, so traveling is a big piece of it, being present for media, photo shoots, video shoots, making sure that everything we're doing is related to and benefiting the brand that the artist has built. And we're very, our company, everyone here, Joey, Nikki, everybody is very present. And that's important to us because we want our artists to know that we are there and accessible and that we're in it with them. How do you manage all that? Because there's not like, like you said, sometimes you're in the studio and you're being creative and then sometimes you're talking to an agent or maybe you're talking to the attorney. Like, how do you manage keeping up with all that as one person? Though It seems like a whole lot to take a hold of. So how do, how do you grow into that? And what are some skills that, that you find that are really advantageous to be in that role that you're in? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And every manager does it differently. And every manager has different types of support people on their teams handling different things. One benefit, this is so so annoying what I'm about to say, and the, the people that, that work with me will get annoyed by it too. I have a really great memory. Like I remember, I remember everything. Like if I read a date or, oh, the show in Boston is on this date, like I just like remember it so I can retain a lot of information, <laughs> which is helpful. But, um, but you have to have the right support around you as well. And I have a great management coordinator. Jess Tomlins is incredible. And she really, she's more like the COO of our company in the respect that she keeps things operating on the right path. I have an amazing assistant who is there to kind of catch anything and, and follow up with me. I mean, when you first start out, one person can do it all. But then as artists grow and you start building your company, you need, you need help. You know, Nikki's been, Nikki Boone's been with me from the, from the beginning. And now, you know, she's expanded and is managing her own clients, which is incredible as well. So um, you just have to, you have to delegate the things that need to be delegated and you have to tell people specifically what their roles are so that there's no confusion. And be a good communicator, I think, is important as well. So, Q, 
Kane, we uh, we know that Kane was one of the early like social media uh, present artists that we had in our market. So he's kind of was a test case in a, in a for all of us to see. Can you really take somebody that has an online presence and build it out? So can you kind of explain or maybe go through some of the process of how you were able to retain the online presence and then build out his current like live? Because he didn't have a lot of live skills at the time. If you can walk through like some of the things you did to help brand him and build him out, I would love to know some of that. Yeah, definitely. He was honestly one of the very, very first in Nashville to ever break through, reach that critical mass tipping point on social media. And I think that a lot of people at the time, right, because we're talking about 2015, 2016, didn't get it. They didn't understand. People couldn't understand how you could have a fan base. And at the time, a number one song on iTunes that and not have that was not on the radio like that people just couldn't get it so a big piece of the puzzle for me in the early early days was just educating people of like hey this guy's got a huge fan base and he didn't get it in the way that people in nashville have been doing it for the last 25 years but he did it just through reaching people directly but obviously i do think my publishing background really served me working with kane in those early years because you know, in publishing, obviously, you you are drilled in the importance of a great song. My career started with artists who really knew and understood great songs, and, and great songs are what made their careers. And so when you have somebody who's as charismatic as Kane and is such a superstar presence, like even, yeah, all those years ago, you couldn't put your finger on it, but it's like, man, there's something about this guy. Um, pairing that with great songs was the most important first step. So he came to town and the first thing I remember, the very first thing I ever did with Kane is I took him to a couple publishers and he met a couple publishers. We went to Liz Rose, I remember, and they gave gave him a couple songs and we thought that was so cool. And he ended up cutting one of them, which now I think is like a gold song. It's an album track, but I think it's a gold song. So it all worked out. And he uh, he started writing. I'd love to touch on, because he didn't have a lot of live experience. How do you approach that in management? Because I think this is more and more a challenge that we're all seeing. Like, okay, obviously I got to get him some experience, but he took off quick. As I recall, you can tell me if this is Music Row rumor, that he was already selling out venues, even though he hadn't really played live. So he's already got an audience and you got to get there fast. You got to ramp up fast. What are some of the challenges in that? And how did you guys overcome those challenges? Yeah, that is definitely what happened. He, we did one show, his, um, his booking agent, his booking agent still to this day, Braden Roundtree at WME. I called him and I said, Hey, Kane's putting a little EP out independently. This guy came Brown. I need a place. He's young. I need a place that we can do an all ages show in Chattanooga. And he put us at like this little coffee shop in Chattanooga Kane did the show and it was, it was fine. You know, it's just kind of <laughs> like, I don't know if you remember during CMA Fest, BMI used to have a little stage and they had it on the other side of the river, like the side of the football stadium. And so nobody would ever come over there. And, but they put them on that. They said, oh yeah, you can play CMA Fest. And they put them on that stage. And, you know, there was probably like 12 people there. Kane was very shy and, and, didn't really know, didn't know. If you don't know what to do, you don't know what to do. And so I said to his lead guitar player at the time, I was like, man, 
we got to get some gigs under Kane's belt. We got to go woodshed because this thing's going to take off really fast. And so he found some like dive bar in Darlington, South Carolina. He's like, okay, I know this guy. He's going to let us come play. And I was like, perfect. So the guy puts the tickets on the on sale and it sells out in an hour, 750 people. And we hadn't, we'd only released like five songs. And I was like, oh, uh oh. And so then the guy put a second show on sale and that one sells out in like 10 minutes. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be just like trial by fire. Right. But Kane is an athlete. He is also a high achiever. And so he was like, I got to figure this out. So he literally told me he would just sit and watch. And I would see him. He would just sit and watch videos of like Kenny Chesney, you know, and whoever was entertainer of the year at the time the, or the big, you know, the big football stadium entertainers, Chesney, McGraw, you know, those guys. Well, I mean, this is 2015, Luke Bryan, um, all those types of people. And he would just study them to at least like learn dialogue right like what do you even say like how do you even because nobody teaches you that right mm -hmm. and so he he did those couple clubs and it and it was it was fine and he was finding his way and then seth england called me and said hey florida georgia lion wants to put kane brown out as first of four and he can play for 15 minutes and i was like okay cool <laughs> we're gonna go on tour and so kane literally that was really where things flip the switch he was stood side stage every single night every single night he didn't go to the boston party he didn't go whatever he stood side stage every single night and he watched ev the openers every single night and just studied those guys and then when we went on our next tour with al dean chris young was the middle act he would stand there and watch chris and he studied those guys and he learned so much and what's wild is he still does it for his openers so when we're playing, we're playing an arena or wherever he go, we always have a suite that we can sneak him up to. He sits there and he watches the openers and he just studies them and he observes what, what works or what doesn't work. And um, yeah, he's just a student of the game. As cheerleaders and supporters of watching, not only like you as a friend can go on to the success. And I remember also, cause we uh, mentioned this before we started recording, like Carrie, I remember when Luke went on his first big stadium tour, his big tour, and her and I stand on that stage and going, how crazy is this? And she's like, it just <laughs> doesn't seem real. Because we go back to when she, she jokes, like when she was just a producer assistant, and now she's this huge manager. Like, it's so crazy. You guys are killing it. I think it's so fun to watch. Yeah, she's she is definitely a, uh, and I've said this before, I mean, she is definitely someone who blazed a trail for publishers, you know, obviously female managers, but even take that out of it, managers in general for publishers who just believe in the artist and her and Luke's relationship is so strong. And I just, I admire the, the careers that they've both built. And yeah, she's definitely a role model for other managers for sure. If you were going to tell somebody that's listening that, that might be thinking about your career, what is a skill set that you think is invaluable as a manager? I mean, I, I have my opinions because just watching again as mentioning like a carry and watching the new like crew come up, which do happen to be a lot of women, which I think is also amazing. There's also some guys out there. But 
What is a skill set that you think is invaluable that you need to have and hone as a manager as you've risen up to the level that you're at now? That's a great question um, because it's. I think it's a couple things. I think it's um, you know you have to have you have to be able to think two years in the into the future, ten years into the future, whatever it may be. But you have to be able to make sure that you're taking action and following through on the steps that have to happen today. You know, like you have to do the steps. A lot of people want they can see they can see the two year plan. They can see step ten but they don't do steps one through nine. And if that's the case, you're never gonna, you're never gonna wind up where you wanna be. So I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. I think being an advocate for your artists, nine times out of 10, that's to other people, but sometimes it's to them, you know? Like being an advocate to them of like, man, I'm here to help you for your career. This is, this is why I think this is a good idea. Sometimes that has to happen. I think honestly, just trying to be a good communicator with all the other people involved who want a piece of your artist, you know, their top piece of your artist time and protecting time, you know, that's the hardest thing too. When you get to the level where Kane is or Luke Bryan or whoever, the, the commodity is time and everybody wants a piece of the artist's time. And so just figuring out how to preserve that for them so that, you know, trying to give them breaks so that they still have fun doing, doing this thing that they're doing. How do you identify and pursue new opportunities for your artists? Cause that's gotta be a challenge. Like you said, like you, from a young ones, the new ones you have coming up to somebody like Kane, who has just probably uh, just un, a, a massive amounts of opportunity. Cause everybody's coming out, out after him. And once it's, as you said, it's time, like, how do you look at those and assess the value for his brand and growing him? It's hard, right? Because when you're first starting out, when you're a new artist and you're first starting out, anything that comes down the pike, you're like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And you want to take advantage of any, anything, right? Because you're having to establish yourself and set yourself apart from the rest of the pack because there's so many talented artists especially now there's so much music coming out on any given day and people from all over the world who are so good that you have to set yourself apart from the pack. So you're taking every opportunity. Then as you start moving along, you have to be more selective with that stuff. A for time, but B also, you know, there's a, there's a quality of what needs to be done that you have to maintain a level of quality. And the worst thing that can ever happen is that you're doing something and your artist turns and looks at you and goes, why are we doing this? Mm. And if you don't have a good answer, you probably shouldn't have been doing it in the first place, you know? And so I think it's really assessing everything and asking, you know, every success is just, it's almost, it's an opportunity to build, right? It's not, we build on success. We just keep building. And so I think anything that comes along the way, if you can't see how it's building towards the, you know, towards the future and building the artist's career, then I think that's when you have to pause and ask yourself if it's worth the artist's time and candidly in your time, right? Because it's always, honestly, it's always that kind of stuff too that ends up taking up the, so much of the manager's time. And it's gut, you know, gut's a big part of it. You, you do this for a while and you start to know what's worth your time and what isn't, who's full of crap and who's legit. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you get talked into something and you do it 
And it always ends up being a hassle. And I always, you know, look at, you know, Nikki Beard who works with me. She knows me the best. And I'm always like, ah, oh, why did I, I knew it. I knew yeah. this was a bad idea, you know? So you got uh, we, to listen to your We've all had them, man. <laughs> Every now and then. Nobody's perfect, right? You've got to give yourself a little bit of breathing room. And you've got to allow yourself and your artists to make mistakes, right? I, I do feel like we live in a world right now where you can't make mistakes as much as you used to be able to. Maybe part of it's social media. Part of it is the pressures of like major deals, you know, like a major label deal or whatever, where people feel like they've only got one shot and they're on the clock and they don't want to screw anything up. And I totally get that. But man, you got to just be able to make mistakes every now and then and, and not kill yourself for it, you know? How do you build your team? Like, you know, you got your artists, as you said, you've mentioned agents and you got publicists. Like, what are some of the important teammates and, and how do you find each unique individual or some of the process you go through to do, build that out for your, for your artists? Yeah, there are a lot of people involved in an artist's career. And the more successful you are, the more they just keep adding, 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 adding on, you know? And they're all, they all serve important roles. You know, I think you have a couple, you have a couple kind of different units. You have the, as, as the guys on the road like to call it the office, you know, which is people that work in an office in Nashville, I guess. I don't know. That would be your business manager, you know, who helps with your finances and gets everybody paid. Your agent who helps you book your tours. When you reach a certain level of touring, you start interacting with your promoter, who's either AEG or Live Nation, or there's a couple other independent ones that are great. They help you book your tours and get all that rolling. Then you have your record label, your, all that goes into that. You have your publisher, obviously. You have, then you start, then you start going even more, right? You have your publicist who helps you with the media and you have your stylist and your <laughs> makeup person. And then you have, okay, well, let's, okay, let's keep going. Right. You know, it's like more and more and more. Then you have everybody out on the road and where it started just your band, you know, and the drummers, the tour manager and whatever, then that starts growing and you get a tour manager and a production manager and a front of house guy and a monitor guy. And, you know, you just started adding, 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 and you turn around and you're like, Oh, Holy cow. We have, 75 people out there on the road or or more maybe more honestly probably more and we have 30 we have 100 people involved in this one person's career it's it's wild like the way that it grows but you know everybody that you add in you have to add in thoughtfully and you know hopefully the personalities all get along and sometimes they don't and that's just <laughs> something you got to deal with I would love, uh, Martha, if you would share maybe a success story or, or maybe this a particular moment in your journey that just really reaffirmed your passion for what you do and leave this uh, on like a really cool positive note. For sure. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because I don't, one thing is probably a little bit of a personality flaw. I don't, I don't really like allow myself to rest in like good things when they happen because i feel almost like a sense of like okay now we got to use this to get to the next thing you know and, and never sort of sit in it but i will say a recent one i will say with kane he played fenway right you know he played his hometown stadium in chattanooga but fenway was the first like real stadium stadium that we had ever done 
it was sold out, which was awesome. He was the first ever any genre of music black headliner, which is wild to me. Uh, Jay-Z had co-headlined with Justin Timberlake back in the day when they did that tour together. Became was the first black headliner. He sold it out. He's a country artist. I just thought all of that was so cool. I, I didn't really allow myself to think about it too much. And Kane didn't either. He's a, this kind of has the same personality disposition where he doesn't like to get phased by stuff. Right. You know, it's like, it's, that's the athlete thing though. Right. Like if you're get nervous that you're playing in, you know, playing Alabama and you start playing differently, then you're probably not going to play well. You know, I don't know why I said Alabama. I'm a big 10 fan. It's really weird. Anyways, <laughs> but, but we were, when you, when you play Fenway, there's not really like a backstage area you have to get in like a shuttle. It's the weirdest thing. And you kind of get shuttled around and dropped off. So it was just me and Kane and the band and his wife, Caitlin, and we were the only ones. And we get shuttled around to the back of the stage and the band goes and is getting ready to get on stage. And Kane's like standing to the side and he like peeks out and he looks out and he just looks at me and he goes, come here. And I was like, okay. And that's not anything he would normally do. So I was like, oh no, what's wrong? You know? And he goes, look at all those people. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> that's a lot of people, man. And he was like, I know. And it was the s- smallest, most like tiny little exchange. But I think for us to acknowledge what a big deal it was in that moment, I don't know, it was pretty impactful. So yeah, I was I was pretty proud of that show. And I'm I'm pretty proud that that show will now lead into doing many more stadiums in 2024, which is pretty cool as well. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunzey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. And this has been a Dime Collective production.